0: Hallo an alle und willkommen zu Short Reverse Shot, einen Film und Fernsehn Podcast in dem wir ein Film Diskutieren das sich von Folge zu Folge andert. Ich bin ihr Gastgeber Edwin Davis und dies Woche ist Matt Respisul mir gekommen. Shit, ah. my phone, my phone fucking blacked out as the last line. Hello, Matt. Wie geht es dir?
1: Yes. Um, <laughs> muy bien. Uh, gracias. Yeah, I, I kind of um, th- feel this is an allusion to the fact that I've been in Germany, Ed.
0: Yes, it, it is exactly an allusion to that and uh, or, uh, an excuse for me to brush off my GCSE in German. Mm. But I didn't translate all of that. That was Google Translate's work, but the product pronunciation that was pure davis magic
1: yeah the um uh all our german fans are gonna be you know <laughs> screaming yes. into their kind of uh, you scream into something screaming into the headphones maybe um but yeah they'll be very frustrated but yeah I, I went to poland as well on holiday so are we
0: gonna are we gonna end the podcast in polish because that's sure that's a tough gig yeah i'll uh I'll, I'll get on that in the background i'll just be phonetically working it out uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. P- Polish, not one of the ones I've tried uh, for the years. I'm, uh, I can, I can, kind of read conversational French, like French, uh, bits and pieces of French still come back to me, even though it's been years since I studied it. German is still there, more or less, and I've been learning Spanish, but Polish, uh, it seems like next tier in terms of trying to learn a language. Mm, I th- I feel like if you're learning Spanish, and you
1: know, I was in Latin America for the best part of six months. We should probably attempt a um, Spanish language episode of this.
0: Mm, it's going to be a lot of discussion about libraries mm-hmm. and cars and big dogs. I think.
1: Yeah, I think so. I do know um, that
0: movie is pelicular. Yeah, uh, they are pelicular. That's right. So that's 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 a, that's a good uh, starting point. I think.
1: Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, Speaking of peliculas. Yeah, oh. yeah, I think it's about time we've all got bilingual on this show.
0: Uh, exactly i can also uh, uh a, a little bit of welsh from my, my mm. father's side of the family uh i can sing happy bir- happy birthday and i can also tell you the microwave is pop dipping which is yes. wonderful <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when you right. don't have a word for a thing just be like uh, what's the most whimsical word we can use for this mm, yeah and the, i suppose
1: the german alternative would be a uh, boxy machine that cooks food and does it quickly <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what i mean that's it's very like exactly what it says in the tin isn't it german beautiful language beautiful language as they used
0: to say on the bugle mm, yeah great bunch of lads are germans great bunch <laughs> of lads. and they can totally take a joke uh, <laughs> and don't get mad at people for mispronouncing their words horribly on a podcast mm-hmm. uh, so we'll go into the news for this week, and it's been a busy week. It feels like mm. so so much seems to have happened, and whilst one particular thing certainly occupied the latter part of the week for me, and we'll get to that, boy will we get to it. Uh, mm. there, were, there was lots of other news prior to that, uh, including the Emmy nominations, there were some nominations for shows that we discussed on this podcast recently, including game of thrones which got i think broke the record for the most single season that a show has ever uh, got nominated for
1: yeah that checks out given how
0: that's a highly accurate reflection of how the critics and uh, audience mm-hmm. saw it. Mm, it it i think it helps that they have just like swamped the acting categories like i think in supporting actress they have four nominations in there. Uh, including Gwendolyn Christie who was not put forward by HBO she basically staged her own campaign and got nominated for it which I think is baller and absolutely deserved because she was easily one of the best things on that show for Mm -hmm. its entire run and I hope that she uh, if if it comes down to one of the games of thrones people I hope it was her but yeah they also have a lot of nominations in supporting actor you know it, it helps when you have just such a huge cast And pretty much everyone can be like, has probably got enough material to be like, yeah, here's like a scissor reel. Here's Peter Dinklage wanking on about stories and how they're important. Barry also was very, very well recognised for its second season, including uh, a number of nominations for the episode Ronnie Lily, which Mm -hmm. Emily and I talked about when we did the episode on it, and which uh, is is one of my favourite episodes of television recently. Very deserved. Bill Hader uh, got nominations in that for directing... And writing that episode as well as one for like best comedy and best director uh, uh, and best um, lead actor in a comedy. Uh, And that's another show also that kind of has dominated a category because they have three nominations in supporting actor for Henry Winkler, Mark Carrigan and Stephen Root, which is Mm. uh, three amazing performances. And I don't know who I would choose between those three. Mm. Well, just whichever one Barry leaves alive. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, whoever wins uh I think probably dies first. <laughs> that's the that's the curse I'm going to put in, <clears throat> onto it. But yeah, like they're all doing very different things. Like Mark carrigan is just doing like a, a, a huge big wonderfully silly caricature of performance. Henry Winkler this year got to do a lot of kind of like very internal somber kind of grief stricken stuff and steven root is just having a ball being at least in one episode like pretty much the devil incarnate <laughs> so mm. so it's like it's very hard to judge those performances even though they're all from the same show
1: yeah yeah and it, i think it something like that just goes to show how hard it is to narrow a lot of this stuff down mm. the fact yeah. that you know there's been some very high profiles there's always high profile stumps in everything but the fact that the the Game of Thrones can get four nominations in one category, and Homecoming mm. can't get one at all. It's yeah. crazy to me.
0: Yeah, Homecoming, the Amazon show. Yeah, yeah. There's 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 that show, and there's also Homecoming, the Beyonce thing. And I was like, I just want to specify which is which because I do. I mean that that should be eligible for every award. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever
1: Beyonce does, it should um, you know kind of win sports personality of the year as far as i'm concerned
0: <laughs> and there was also uh, in terms of snubs also uh, deadwood didn't get as much love as perhaps a lot of people thought it would deserve it's nominated for best like uh miniseries or, or made for tv movie or whatever that category is but mm-hmm. it didn't get anything in the way of writing which is a, a shock considering you know david milch is such a Import like the writing is so central to, to that show and and to the the movie the cast are all really good uh, that's just just uh, it's just a real shame really they didn't get mm. the, the it still doesn't get the recognition it deserves even after achieving the miracle of getting the movie made eventually
1: mm, I think if they could put most unlikely revival we would probably <laughs> might snatch a win and
0: in uh, kind of TV news as well there was a lot of drama behind the scenes of, of Big Little Lies be mm. hugely acclaimed in its first season and kind of mixed response in its second series, season HBO show. The first season was directed and produced and edited by uh, Jean-Marc Vallée, who uh, is, is perhaps best known for directing movies like uh, Wild and uh, Dallas Buyers Club. Is that him? Yeah, that's
1: him. Yeah, yeah,
0: and uh, he directed all of that, that show. For the second season, Andrea Arnold came in to direct and was not told uh, when she signed on that her work would then be kind of edited and color corrected and all of this by uh, jean-marc valet and his team to keep it kind of in the same tone of the series and that story kind of emerged last week as as a i think a a lot of people being rightly uh, indignant on the part of Andrew Arnold, less so that the idea of like a director having their work taken away from them because television is kind of a producer writer medium more than it is a director medium and directors rarely have final say on their work in television anyway but more on the sense of not being told that that was the case. Like, bringing her on as this acclaimed director who's made a bunch of really, really great movies and, you know, hiring her clearly because that's kind of a prestigious thing And it gets them kind of progressive points or whatever, being like, oh, we're giving this really big show that's fronted by a lot of women to a female director to direct and then not telling her, oh, by the way, the work, the end work is is not going to resemble what you're making, which Mm. uh, is definitely uh, an incredibly shitty thing to do.
1: Yeah. And like you say, it isn't unusual for TV directors to not be there with the edit because I remember watching the Sopranos I'm I can't remember who was it was it Mike Figgis who directed episodes of the Sopranos or Mike yes. Nichols it yeah, was I Mike Figgis Mike, yeah Mike Nichols were doing amazing but you know different show but Mike Figgis was saying that like he wasn't used to that but he found it quite liberating that he would direct mm. an episode turn it over and then come back and hey here it is it was different to him but the thing is Big Little Lies is uh very different uh, one director directs the whole thing and that's something that's kind of been in vogue since Kerry Fukunaga did True Detective. Yeah. To have one person do that. So you would think that if one director would come in and call the shots for every episode, then they would be way more involved than, you know, a a director for hire who's going to come in and do something on a one-show basis. Mm -hmm. And you'd think if they hired someone like Andrea Arnold, the reason they had picked that one director is because they wanted something from that director. That director would bring something to the show. So to then take it away from them and revert it back to the house, quote-unquote house style without telling them. It's just such a bad look. It's such a bad look and like, I, I don't really get how they thought they would get away with it. I don't really understand that. It's such a high-profile show with, like you say, such a high, very noticeable female input, the producers mm. um, and you know, the, the, obviously the talent on the screen is mostly female, to do something that is women-led that shits on a woman so
0: kind of blatantly is, yeah, not great. And it also, I think, you know, you know, you can't say for certain that, like, the Andrea Arnold version of the show would necessarily have been better received than the version they had. You know, that's a, a hypothetical and it's impossible to say. Release the Arnold cut. Release <laughs> exactly. the Arnold cut. <laughs> Hashtag, get it on, get it trending. Um, mm-hmm. But... It definitely would have been... She would have made a different version of the show if she had gone in knowing this, I think. Mm. Like, if she went in thinking, okay, I have to adhere to what the show did previously, she would have maybe made different choices. Oh, she may just have not signed on. Like, she would have mm-hmm. been like, no, I don't want to do that. She's going to take it away from me. But if they were up for, for and honest, then she would have probably been... You know, if she still wanted to make the show and still thought all oh, this sounds like an interesting challenge, she probably would have been she would have approached it differently. Instead, what they have to do is they have to take work that was shot with a certain style and tone and be like, okay, now we have to kind of like retrofit it to match what we did previously. And that seems like shooting yourself on the foot on both ends because on the one hand you're just going to get a a news cycle of people being like well this is an incredibly awful thing to do and it also could you know send a chill up the spine of any creators who think you know HBO have done some good stuff I've heard some good things like this is like or to go back to Deadwood as well like there was a a big uh, period like after Deadwood was cancelled where you saw a lot of people say you know I was going to take this project hbo but like after what they did to david lynch you know i went to fx or whatever you know things like this aren't great for us for your relationships with potential talent uh so it's bad on that front but also it it i think demonstrably seems to have harmed the show because everyone who watched the show prior to this story breaking was like something seems like weird something seems off like things aren't quite connecting and it's it's hard not to think that that is because they t- took one, the show that was going for one thing and then were like Frankensteining it into a different shape. Mm. I really like
1: the first season mm-hmm. and it's kind of, well, I mean, it feels like it would be hard to not be able to make a great show out of the materials at hand. But the second season, I'm a little bit behind on and I think I'm at episode three. Mm-hmm. So just before the the very noticeable changes start to occur. Right. So... I can't fully kind of testify as to whether there is a big noticeable change or not. But like there's there's now something that's not making me want to return to it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It just kind of leaves a bad taste in the mouth. Yeah, it definitely feels like HBO have um, shot themselves in the foot on this, particularly at a time when they are trying so hard to like establish, you know, oh, you know, Game of Thrones is over, but we still have other stuff. Uh, Mm. And like, this is not, it's not a great start to the post Game of Thrones era for them. No, not at all. In other kind of like TV news, uh, Netflix lost subscribers this quarter, I think. And it's the first time they've lost subscribers since 2011 when they like divided up their streaming and disc services, which I think just led to some people abandoning it because they were like, ah, this sounds too complicated. But since then, as they've kind of moved more towards streaming, they have... Grown and grown every every quarter, every year they've added more subscribers, and uh, this year saw the first kind of contraction, which I think has got to be worrying for them because the kind of like the big uh, problem that Netflix has is like they basically exist just because they are in incredible amounts of debt. Like they keep, but it's the same with most tech companies. You know, you go horribly into debt with loans and things like that, in the hopes that you will eventually see profitability. And the only way that works for a subscription service is if you get more subscribers. And obviously they have a lot of subscribers, but unless the base keeps growing, then eventually they're going to start hemorrhaging money. And particularly when you consider they have spent so much on so many things, like their push over the last couple of years to be like, we're releasing 30 new shows every week which is not that much of an exaggeration of the amount of stuff that they drop every Friday, is the sort of thing that they probably going to have to cut back on if they suddenly realise, yeah, we we may have uh, overextended ourselves a little bit here and people may be noticing that our original stuff is perhaps not giving them the same return on their subscription that they were getting when, you know, we had 10,000 movies that you could stream at a moment's notice that, that people had actually heard of and wanted to watch. Mm. It's kind of weird to me that that is actually a
1: sensible business model that has Mm. worked for people in the past. Um, It's very high stakes. And like you say, they are churning out so much stuff, so much stuff that I can't even register. that It kind of appears, I see it and go, shit, I'll watch that, and then it's gone. Mm. And stuff that we talk about that wins awards at last year's, I mean, the the Comiskey method, that thing. I, I remember just turning on netflix one day i was like oh my god there's a there's a michael douglas slash danny devito slash alan arkin sitcom that's just arrived i'll watch this and then i think i next thing i knew i stumbled across it in my list last week a year later and just like there's how are they just churning out this much stuff is it uh surely there's got to be some kind of quantity quality balance hasn't the lessons of the richie rich thing
0: taught us anything <laughs> you would hope so and i think this is also re- um reflected in like the amount of stuff they've just cancelled over the last year or so like stuff like one day at a time that has now found a, a new home uh thankfully after people kind of like really campaigned for it but that was very much a case of like oh you know like a show that was they debuted with a certain degree of fanfare found its audience but clearly was not as much of a uh a, a draw i guess for new subscribers that they decided to axe it whereas you know uh something like the the murder mystery the adam Sandler the thing they, they they put out they say has been watched by like 73 million people which uh, I think it's, it's probably true because they just have so many subscribers, and I think there's enough people that would be like, you know, of a of a Friday or Saturday night, not much to do. Think, oh, sure, why not? It doesn't cost me anything to watch an Adam Sandler movie, but like it does feel, only
1: only morally.
0: Yeah, only only in your soul, mm. and yeah, it does it does feel as if they are they really don't know what their priorities are. Like cl- there are clear indicators for them of like stuff that is successful and i guess there is stuff they could kind of like double down on but the stuff that they want to double down on probably isn't going to be that the, the stuff that they actually that would actually give them legitimacy because a lot of the stuff they they kind of get behind for the sake of like awards consideration which is kind of like you know like trying to break into the oscars and having dominated the emmys over the last couple of years is like stuff that tends not to be watched by that many people in general. Like, I don't know, we'll never know how many people watched Roma, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't 73 million people. But, like, that's kind of, like, their identity crisis is that there is a clear path to them for, like, big success, which is stuff that is is bad. (laughs) Or stuff that is, like, just kind of, like, comfy and mediocre, whereas what they put a lot of their money into is more avant-garde and strange stuff. And that's great in terms of, like, stuff getting made and distributed and out there but I think it it kind of has produced a company that has no discernible identity and that is a problem for like if they want to compete with like the HBO's where HBO has a certain uh, sense of quality and scale and grandeur to it and Netflix I think has kind of uh, a reputation for weird and cheap and I don't know, tawdryness Mm. (laughs) Cheap and tawdry, the Netflix way. (laughs) Yeah, it's not quite, uh, it's not TV, it's HBO, but I think it gets to the heart of the matter.
1: Mm. It is cheap, and it is tawdry.
0: Not much to say on this, other than that it's a sentence I absolutely would never, ever have expected to say, which is that Noah Baumbach and Greta Gerwig are apparently working on a Barbie movie. Now they've been trying to make a Barbie movie for well not them specifically but Hollywood has been trying to make a Barbie movie for several years various people have kind of like cycled in and out so I kind of feel figure this probably isn't gonna get made and they're probably just gonna pocket a couple of million and kind of uh, refurbish their like Manhattan townhouse or wherever it is they live but uh yeah it's just like a sentence that I came across on Twitter and it it and uh it and the sentence uh, Donald Trump speaks to the Swedish prime minister on behalf of ASAP Rocky were like certainly up there in terms of like sentences this week that I could not have ever counted as ever reading before.
1: Mm. I Yeah, I kind of feel like the Baumbach-Gerwig um, thing is maybe a future-proofing-their-careers move because mm. I don't think this film's going to happen. Um, yeah. It went through the most high-profile person who had it was the. Jesus Amy Christ. Schumer, was Amy Schumer had it. Yeah, and that yeah. was for a while, and it looked like it was going to happen. It was a big deal, and people were saying, Oh, yes, it's, you know, this is a really good idea. And it probably, maybe, could have been. Still basking in this post Lego movie glow that anything can be a good idea, mm-hmm. um, the Hollywood studios currently. And then I think, you know, when they start to see some of these things falling flat on their faces, they're winding back a little bit. But to give it to Gerwig and, and Baumbach seems like a, such an odd thing um but you know again i'm not going to write it off completely um but yeah i don't think i don't think that's going to happen yeah
0: i I do think it's like you know it's a way to get paid you know it's just kind of like a nice easy gig uh you know get a certain amount of money for help trying to develop a script and then you know go off and shoot a movie for two million dollars uh on the streets of new york hmm yeah yeah i mean that's what i'd do yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of an easy gig and it is kind of in line with what we've seen with a lot of filmmakers of that kind of generation of like not, not just people who are part of the Mumblecore movement, but people who are kind of coming up around that same time taking studio checks kind of just as a way to bolster their finances to work on their smaller stuff like someone like andrew Bajalski co-wrote has written i think lady and the tramp the movie that the the, the remake of lady and the tramp that's coming out on disney plus that makes sense uh, perfect yeah. sense
1: you see his movies you think get this guy talking dog and spaghetti amazing Ex-
0: exactly uh alex ross perry co-wrote christopher robin no wait yes uh, no, that is true yeah because there were two winnie the pooh movies last year wasn't there there was the one that was actually disney and like had ewan mcgregor and then there was one that was just about the creator yeah uh, but i think christopher robin was the one that actually was the, the winnie the pooh movie and Bar, Bar- Barback himself has also done like he did punch up on like one of the kung fu pandas i think no he wrote madagascar three Gee. That's what he, he wrote madagascar three and charlie kaufman worked on one of the kung fu pandas like there are like this whole generation of directors craig Gillespie, who did like lars and the real girl has done a bunch of movies for 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 uh big studios mm. um
1: alexander payne and jim taylor used to do the in Dr- you know,
0: jurassic park 3 and things like that didn't they and... i know I pronounce you chuck and larry yep yeah and there's another kind of like big oh um david lowry of course did uh pete's dragon mm. uh like yeah there are, there are all these people who are like you know, we, we, we'll take a big studio gig to kind of balance things out. You know, it's a one for me, one for them kind of approach. And it's it's kind of t- tried and tested at this point. Um, and we'll probably be talking about a few more of those kind of filmmakers in a moment. But yeah, like it, it, it kind of makes sense. Like I, there were some people who I think responded to the to the, the Barbie news as being like, oh, this is like terrible. This is the death of culture. And on one level, yeah, it kind of is is kind of bad that filmmakers have to, uh, to you know, kind of like, deign to look at a barbie's movie because like maybe they don't have other prospects elsewhere or like it's harder for them to get their movies made but at the same time you know like that that's the situation you're in and you know you gotta you gotta do what it takes to get your movies made and if it ends up with a another francis Har or whatever then great you know that's that's it's worth it i guess
1: mm, yeah i just want to see what joe swanberg's next move is he's gonna do like the mm. third third gi joe movie maybe
0: Ah, oh, I love it. Very talky, mm-hmm. uh, weird. Like lots of weird sex in it. Yeah, whatever he yeah. wants. Yeah. In uh, kind of like, kind of broader movie news, this week saw the release of The Lion King, and it's been very successful. It's earned like one hundred and eighty-six million or something. Its opening weekend, which actually is. Seems kind of low to me, I would have expected more, um, but still a lot of money, and it caps off what has been a really great summer for Disney, where between that, between Endgame, between Toy Story 4, Spider-Man Homecoming, I don't, uh, Far From Home, I don't think is technically theirs, but obviously, like, its success kind of reflects well on them, because of the shared relationship they have with, with Sony on, on the Spider-Man character at the moment. So they've had, like, a bunch of movies that have been very, very successful, but, like, For everyone else, it's just been a dog shit summer of movies just completely falling on their arse and losing huge amounts of money. Uh, Talking about things like Men in Black International, which has been just a complete an utter disaster. Secret Life of Pets 2, which kind of did okay in the fact that it's an Illumination movie and their movies don't cost very much, but has made like half of what the first one did. Shazam kind of underperformed, but, you know, wasn't. I don't think anyone had high expectations for it. Dumbo, actually Dumbo didn't, well, Dumbo probably cost a lot of money, but still only made it 100 million. Uh, Godzilla, King of the Monsters, made half of what was expected. The Lego Movie 2 kind of did pretty poorly compared to the first one. It's just been lots and lots of movies that at the start of the year, people kind of like looked at and thought, oh, that's maybe not a surefire thing, but there's enough of a, a name recognition there or it's got appealing stars you know that'll probably do well that have just completely not made any mark at all and it does the, the continued dominance of disney and other people not really being able to match up to what they're doing for the most part is not great in terms of the current state of hollywood filmmaking and really like for the next couple of years of of, of hollywood and america uh, american movies Mm. There's still there's still some, like, things to look forward to on the horizon. Like Tarantino's new one's out next week, and that'll hopefully do well. Some movies like yesterday have done surprisingly well, for what that's worth. But you know, it's like, it's it's not been, it's not been a banner summer.
1: Mm. I'm starting to suspect that this Disney monopoly might not be healthy. <laughs> Mm. Um, it feels a little bit like I actually, I actually kind of heard someone sum it up quite well. It said that Hollywood kind of can and will make original movies. They just can't make people go to watch them right now. Yes, because at the minute, pulling people out of the uh, the comfort of their own home, where they can watch pretty much anything they want at any time, legally or not, to go and watch a film that has got no recognition to them has no nostalgic sense for them to go and watch it at the cinema to pay those prices to make that effort to go and watch Mm. it is a really tough gig right now and even though the disney kind of um market share only jumped relatively recently we're kind of seeing an effect very quickly
0: yeah and this is even before they've started putting out the movies that fox owned I mean, I guess they they put that they I think they technically put out Dark Phoenix, but the the wheels on that were in motion and falling off long before they bought bought Fox. But yeah, so like once they start releasing Fox uh, movies under the Fox banner, but you know also as they are cutting down on the number of movies that Fox would have produced if they were still a separate studio, mm-hmm. it's their their market share is going to increase. It's like thirty or forty percent now, and I think. You know, next year, unless there's a bunch of movies that surprisingly kind of like take over the world, which you know, not going to rule anything out, but you know, it's the recent run of form has not suggested that that'll be the case. That that's going to like increase to like fifty percent, and that's you know, a a non-competitive situation for for Hollywood movies is not great for anyone except Disney shareholders, really. Like, it's not great for artists because you know if disney's the only game in town then there's not gonna be too many avenues you're maybe not gonna have as many opportunities to make interesting movies if it all has to be kind of like put through the disney lens yeah it's just it's just not great i i'm i tried not to be that pessimistic about it because obviously things go in cycles who knows if like like i think disney as well kind of have a problem in that you know the lion king's obviously been very very successful and it's going to be very successful but like what's their next big live action or or pseudo live action remake of one of their classic movies? Because it kind of feels like they've done all the ones that appeal to the ones that only 90s kids remember. Mm. Um, it's like they're not going to go back and do Sword in the Stone. Like they, they have a lot of big catalog, but there's not like necessarily a huge number of movies in there that are guaranteed hits. And that's been kind of like printing money for them after this but like in the next couple of years are they just are they going to be forced to go back to doing original movies because they won't have that huge revenue stream and they're not going to be putting out a star wars a year and marvel's kind of going to be its own gelatinous thing off to the side
1: Mm, i think it's only a matter of time before they make animated versions of the live action versions of the animated versions
0: I just did yeah, the real galaxy brain take there. I was just, just kind of like blown back in my seat by the, the prospect of us getting an animated version of the new Iago. Yeah. Which and is like, suddenly it's like, Oh now he talks a lot. What the hell? They're messing with my adulthood. Mm,
1: yeah. You're ruining my last week. Um, <laughs> yeah. But the thing is, and, and I kind of mean this semi-seriously, people would pay for that. People yes. would go and see that and i think that's the thing is the 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 word of mouth on lion king hasn't been particularly good the reviews have been all right i guess but the reaction to it has mirrored what was being said about it when we started to see footage from it that you know it seems ultimately pointless and less expressive version of what already exists and Mm -hmm. whilst the film appears by all accounts to be solid and and okay um it's not really anything we couldn't have already had that doesn't already exist so why wouldn't they then just why wouldn't they just do a why they do a live action version of fucking tangled which isn't even like 10 years old i bet they would they'd do it
0: yeah the 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 digital hair technology is finally there
1: (laughs) yeah exactly i say we
0: keep saying live action but these aren't even live action movies Mm. yeah yeah it's just uh Photorealistic is the term they're going for now, which is... Uh, it's, it kind of makes it sound even more like a video game than it already looked.
1: Mm. More photorealistic than real life. Although, yeah, I mean, I, I don't really know what their next step is, but the the bubble kind of feels like it's starting to deflate anyway, because Lady and the Tramp has gone to Disney+, Plus, I think. Mm-hmm. It's not, not going to get a cinema release. No. Um, I don't know whether that's a reflection on whether... Andrew Bujalski's made his two two downbeat or whatever, or whether or not it's, it's just like computer chess. Exactly, it's very disturbing. Yeah, you know, Wiley Wiggins is playing the Colonel. He's just kind of <laughs> looking at an old Amstrad. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, but it's yeah, I I kind of they're gonna have to shit or get off the pot at some point. But they've, mm. because they've invested in so many properties and all of the stuff they're doing, even you probably make the argument that. You know, the new Star Wars movies aren't just remakes of the old movies that, you know, we're not, they're still not really doing anything new yet. They're just flogging that horse a little Mm. bit more. Well, is there any horse movies they did? Spirit wasn't theirs, was it? No. No, no. I'm sure they must have.
0: Did they do uh, uh, Secretariat? I want to say that that was one of theirs. Is that the one that stars
1: BoJack Horseman?
0: Yes. (laughs) There you uh, the, go. Do a live action version
1: of a fake movie in Bojack Horseman.
0: Seabiscuit. That I think Seabiscuit's a Disney. Ah right, yeah. Okay. But there is a Secretariat movie. There is a genuine Secretariat movie. It stars Diane Lane. And it pay, played for about four months in the cinema near where my parents live. It was very strange. Like uh before I moved over here, like I came over like for Christmas it was playing, and then I came back like four months later to visit. I just kind of like is that movie still fucking playing. People still really love that fucking horse.
1: Mm, Sing along,
0: secretariat. There was uh, <laughs> uh, the blue Rinse Crown love horses. <laughs> uh, and uh, one of the big news in terms of Disney as well uh, came at Comic Con this year, uh, this week, where they announced a lot of their Phase Four projects, uh, a dizzying amount of content that we won't go into here because, uh, in total, you know, in total, because there's uh, there's a lot of it. But there were some interesting things. uh Thor: Love and Thunder, the fourth Thor movie, is uh, being directed by Taika Waititi, which the news of that broke prior to the Comic Con panel. But yeah, it was announced that Natalie Portman was returning to play a female version of Thor, or, or you know, Jane Foster. Her character is going to be imbued with the power of Thor, which is something they've done in the comic books, uh, and is uh, quite exciting because obviously Taika Waititi's a very talented director and he did a really good job with Thor Ragnarok, but also because uh, Natalie Portman famously really did not like making the Thor movies, particularly the second movie, where she thought really hard for Patty Jenkins to be hired to direct it and then they fired her, and then uh, she just wasn't in Marvel movies for a really long time. Uh, So for her to be back suggests that they've... Uh, either paid her a huge amount of money which is probably true or and or they've given her like more say on 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 this project uh and hopefully uh it will be really interesting as a result because i do like what taika waititi does with that universe and uh everything about the the title and the aesthetic suggests that they are really going to go full-on pulp in this one mm, yeah it seems like They had
1: a lot of fun last time when they said that he was going to do it again. I did not see this development coming, I have to say. But, Mm. um, you know, I'm pleased with it. Like, this is weird. Like, five minutes ago, we were saying that Disney's uh, monopoly on on culture isn't healthy. And now we're talking about how hyped we are (laughs) for Natalie Portman to finally gain the recognition she deserves by playing a superhero with a hammer.
0: Yeah, it is kind of weird. I guess when you're they're the only game in town, you kind of have to say, well, some of their stuff, you know, could be interesting. And 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 uh, the you know, kind of like the shining, the, the the kind of the silver lining for like the gargantuan success of the the the, uh, the the Marvel movies now, and the fact that they have gone so far with the cosmic stuff is that they do seem prepared to let things get a little bit odder, um, mm. which they we saw a lot with the Guardians movies and Thor Ragnarok, but like. I couldn't have imagined five years ago that they would release a movie called Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Mm. that is pure like pulp storytelling like water stained paperback <laughs> in a second hand bookstore title uh and whether or not the film ends up being any good is uh you know another matter, but like the fact that they are just putting that out as a title maybe suggests that they're being they're there. They're feeling themselves a little bit and thinking, you know what, we could probably, you know, let people try their hand at something a little bit silly. And people will go with it because we've already primed them to expect a certain level of silliness.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I didn't particularly care for Doctor Strange, the first mm-hmm. movie, because it's an origin story. Someone's trying to do something bad and he stops it. But yeah. the idea that they're going to say they're going to make us like a horror movie, like yeah. a
0: kind of pulpy horror film, that suddenly is interesting. Mm. yeah I, I, i hope it doesn't end up being like the winter soldier thing where it's like you know this is like our version of a 70s thriller it's like it's kind of got like the essence of uh it's like aromatherapy or something it's kind of got the essence of a 70s paranoid thriller in there but it's still a marvel movie but, but, but you know, like Scott Derrickson does obviously have a horror background and there were sequences in the first one, like the, the bit where there's like hands growing out of hands, which is genuinely quite upsetting and weird. That uh, So like maybe there's there's opportunities there for them to do something really, really cool and interesting. Uh, there's also uh, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, which is a kind of their supposedly I guess it's going to be their take on like a Kung Fu movie. The most exciting thing is about it being that uh, Destin Daniel Cretin, who play who who directed Short Term Twelve, is directing it, mm-hmm. and he's a very talented young filmmaker. I'm excited to see what uh if you know if he kind of brings anything interesting to it. But also, most exciting, uh, Tony Lung is playing the Mandarin. Uh, previously played a fake version of which was previously played by Ben Kingsley in Iron Man. Sir 3. Ben Kingsley. Sir Ben Kingsley, in Iron Man Three, and. Uh, that's you know I love Tony lung I've you know been a big fan of his for, for years and years mainly for his work with like John Wu and uh, Wong Kar Wai and he's basically almost never done any English language work I don't think he's very much like a someone who has remained a huge superstar of world cinema but never really made anything for the, the, the you know he's never been in a Western movie I don't think so for him to do this. Uh, is quite exciting, uh, even if it only means like, yeah, they just drove two dump trucks full of money to his house, and he said, "Yeah, sure, why not?" But but that is, you know, that that kind of sounds interesting. And again, that title, uh, "Shang Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings," again is very much like, yeah, we're going we're going very pulpy with this one.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what else on the slate? There was there was a couple. I I'm, there's a couple that I'm still not sure whether they're going to be TV shows or movies. There's the mm-hmm. The WandaVision, which is a great name for a show. Uh, yes. The Loki. Um, that's a show. And that's yeah. a show. And then there's the um, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which you, well, I initially thought would be a show, but given how Endgame ends, you would assume it would be a movie?
0: Yeah, I, think, I believe it's a show. Okay. And it's going to focus on the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And uh, 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 what's his chops from? Civil War is the villain. Uh, Daniel Bruhl is back Cap- playing the video in that.
1: Yeah, is I've Captain Nemo? Is that his name? That's not his name, is it? Baron it's Zemo. Baron Zemo. Oh, okay, Finding Zemo. That's what yeah. they could have called it. If they're going to go to the trouble of coming up with Wonder
0: Vision, <laughs> uh, there's also What If, which I'm genuinely very excited for. Um, That's the, the only if- one I
1: don't know anything about. Can you please tell me?
0: Sure. Um, what If uh, is kind of like a strand of Marvel comics where. Uh, they do kind of like hypothetical situations where a character called Owatu the Watcher, who I believe is being voiced by Jeffrey Wright and this, is going to be an animated series, uh, kind of postulates, you know, these different uh, scenarios, like um, <laughs> the, the one that was being shared on Twitter, which I, I believe is genuine, was a comic which was, what if Rick James was the Hulk? It literally is like, them taking like crazy hypotheticals and playing them out i don't know if they'll get that silly with it but but basically it's the idea of saying hey let's take these characters and make them play out different stories and uh, the the exciting thing about it is a it's kind of like a a blank canvas for the, for the people involved to tell any story they want with recognizable characters but also all of the actors from the movies or you know most of them are coming back to reprise their roles as uh, as voiceover
1: Oh, that
0: sounds kind of Spider y Yes, yes, very much so. And uh, I, I am very, very curious to see how that turns out because, yeah, there there is a certain strain of kind of like wackiness and what can we get away with uh, inherent in What If? And I'm not sure how much Disney will kind of how much lassitude they will give to their to the creators behind it, but it it has the potential maybe to be a little wilder and sillier than even the the wild and silly marvel movies have been up to this point
1: mm, yeah well that's good there was a big announcement to cap off um the presentation with them telling us that blade is coming back
0: yes uh i am quite excited for that uh, or tentatively excited for that i love the 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 first two blade movies a great deal i i really really enjoyed that character i i uh, like that, Mahershala Ali is going to be playing him, and uh, but I mainly like just the the fact that the story that was told was, the day after he won his second Oscar, he just phoned up Kevin Feige and was like, "Hey, give me Blade," yeah. I'm like fair enough. <laughs> that's what that's what you an Oscar is for, to be like, "Hey, you're you're going to let me do this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have I have proved that I am a very good actor twice over, and I've been in this very successful movie." Uh, I'm I'm a bona fide star. Let me let me play Blade. And, it's a well
1: trodden uh, path after Charlie Theron won her Oscar. and was like, hey, give me Aeon Flux. <laughs> and uh, Halle Berry was like, hey, what's Catwoman doing?
0: Yeah, have you got anything anything in the Catwoman vein <laughs> yeah. that I can work on? But yeah, so I, I'm I'm quite excited for that. I I'm intrigued by the Eternals because that's another one where they really seem to be taking a kind of big leap into the cosmic because that's all about like gods that have existed for millennia and all of our myths are about these gods but we didn't realize that they were gods and you know it's got an interesting cast Angelina Jolie, Kamel Nandiani yeah just uh, and it's being directed by Chloe Zhao who previously directed uh most recently The Rider which mm. is a very good movie and again is kind of like um destined daniel cretin is very much in the vein of like oh this person made like a hugely acclaimed indie movie a couple of years ago let's kind of feed them through the disney machine but you you would hope that uh they will bring something at least a little bit distinctive to it although Mm. i feel like over the last 10 years i've said that like dozens of times and it's only been (laughs) true like twice um but you know you particularly with these like wilder and crazier movies like Something like that like what Taika Waititi did with Ragnarok and what James Gunn has done with the two Guardians movies. I feel like once you're like doing crazy space operas, it's kind of hard not for for them not to be a little bit crazier. So maybe that's that lends itself to people making movies that are a little bit odder and more interesting.
1: Mm. And i think it's what was really interesting about that marvel panel was that they announced all this shit and people lost their minds and even mm-hmm. someone um with a um more balanced disposition like me was like jesus christ that's pretty impressive they were like yeah also we've got uh, captain marvel 2 black panther 2 guardians of the galaxy 3 and i was like what Hang on, what you're gonna like follow up like one of the most successful films of all time with its sequel and that's just going to be the footnote Mm-hmm. yeah like, that's the that's the the point at which they're at they've kind of you know unleashed this slate that's got people you know super excited they're doing all this new stuff and they're like oh, actually we've also got this content as well it's yeah, it's crazy the amount of stuff they've got
0: yeah it's uh and it really does reflect on just how much disney want disney plus to work because they are pumping so many resources into these marvel shows of these pre these established characters who people have grown to i guess kind of like like it's not not any of the big ones <laughs> mm-hmm. like no like no one who can uh support a movie themselves is getting a marvel series or i mean i guess you, you I, I reckon you could probably make a very successful captain america movie with um, with the falcon with mm-hmm. uh, anthony Mackey at this point but like maybe not a scarlet witch movie <laughs> you know that maybe feels like a better suited for, for for television yeah it kind of feels like uh they they are putting a huge amount of resources in that and with the mandalorian like it really does feel as if they are going full tilt on those uh, because uh, it's hard to launch a streaming service even when you're a big company and it's hard to kind of draw people away from you know the the content sync that netflix has become mm, yeah absolutely and our final bit of news this week is Cats. Mm. The trailer for the film adaptation of Andrew Lloyd Webber's musical based on the T.S. Eliot collection Old Possum's Curious Cats. Uh, Collection of cats? Whatever it is. Uh, The T.S. Eliot poem collection debuted on Thursday. And I don't know about you, Matt, but, but that Thursday was the first good day on the internet i can remember since like maybe 2015 Mm. it was uh, it was truly magical watching everyone's reaction to that trailer all at the same time this big communal moment where everyone just was trying to pass one of the most inscrutable (laughs) pieces of pop culture of the last 30 years being delivered in a style that can only be described as criminal (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, it was it was the biggest and most universal pylon that I've seen since <laughs> the Olympic closing ceremony in 2012. Oh, it was it was a it was such a panning. Um, mm. I expected to find gold in it. It was <laughs> ridiculously, and I, and I kind of just I knew it was coming because people said, "Oh, there's going to be a catch trailer tomorrow," and and uh, we've talked before, uh, kind of off air and kind of on air about like. Like cats, really, and like you know something that is is so painfully obvious that they're going to make eventually, and they mm. finally do, and you think, well, the the musical isn't that well regarded. It has some affection for some people, but it's singing people dressed as cats, and mm. it's kind of weird. And like, are they going to actually do this? And then the cast starts to come together, and you're like, oh, okay, it's gonna be. A, like proper people in it they're doing it seriously and then tom hooper does it and we're like oh even worse um (laughs) and it kind of happens but i knew the trailer was coming Mm -hmm. and i saw people talking about it and but on that day we also got the trailers for Two other films. We've got the Top Gun trailer and there was something else. Was it the Jay and Silent Bob one? I think maybe. Yeah. And I kind I did of watched watch that one. <laughs> yeah. I kind of watched them like both and I was like, okay, fine, whatever. The Top Gun one, especially, I was like, uh, okay, right, sure. And then then I then I started seeing the cats appear on my feed. <laughs> and then I watched it first, like, because I, I was kind of at work and I kind of just like glimpsed a bit of it with the sound off and I was like, oh. This kind of looks a bit like, you know, when they made The Island of Dr. Moreau with Val Kilmer. But <laughs> <Yes>. like <laughs> they didn't learn their lesson from that um, yeah. and just kind of went for it. And then I watched it at home with the sound on where I could give it my full attention. And I mean, there were, I haven't seen Cats the Musical. I don't know no. anything about Cats the Musical beyond the fact that it's a musical with cats in it and the yeah. song Memories is in it. a yes. song that I kind of know and is a grating awful you know piece of horrid balladry mm-hmm. um and yeah the the trailer is something that exists and is upsetting <laughs> um and you know there's there's been a lot said about it and the thing is it like the the people who make it they're not going to be sitting here thinking oh my God, maybe people don't actually like the look of this film. It's like, they'll be absolutely loving the fact that everyone is talking about it. The people who will go and see it in their droves are people who don't even understand Twitter. So that doesn't even matter. It's This is all just the kids, um, you know, kind of laughing at this stupid, horrible, this will, this will not lead to a Sonic the Hedgehog redesign. <laughs> um, this will exist. It will be released. People will go and see it. In a year's time, after it's finished, there'll be sing-along versions with your kind of demented uncle and your aunt, and we'll go and watch it like seven times, and it will make a ton of money. And you know, we'll all be like, "Oh God, what was that about?" It's the greatest showman all over again, but with <laughs> weird, really, really detailed fur, but human hands. Yes. Why the human hands? So yeah, like it, I, I do, I do um, look at the the whole Cats Ferrago. With a slight kind of note that the the people who released it, I don't know what studio is behind it, but a Universal, uh, Universal will be loving this, and you know they will be laughing, uh, if not all the way to the bank, most of the way to the bank.
0: Yeah, in terms of that that horrible word engagement, mm. it's been it's been through the roof. Yeah, uh, but like uh, f- for me, like it look it looks terrible. Um, mm-hmm. Cats is not a good show. <laughs> Uh, it is a as I've talked about on this this show before It is a series of cats introducing themselves and then one of them goes to heaven. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> that's the plot of it. Uh, I don't I, I presume they've added more to this to give it a narrative because I'm not sure uh, that would work as a film um, because the play is uh, for all intents and purposes like the perfect like you couldn't you couldn't come up with a better parody of like quirky theater nonsense than cats. And I say that as someone who enjoys quirky theatre nonsense, like it really is like people in leotards jumping around saying songs that seem like they're being made up in the moment, which is a, a, uh, a joke from that uh, Kimmy Schmidt in the most recent season or the final season kind of did very well it's very much a show that really is built on the fact that uh, memory is kind of like a big kind of like ballad that you can cut out of that show and people could perform as a torch song as a standard and that's basically all this reputation is built on because like i don't feel like most of the other songs are known to people and if you play them for people who've never heard them before they will say what is this <laughs> what is a rum-tum tugger you know why is he a curious cat why is he just as ha- Why doesn't he want to be in a flat when he wants to be in a house? What is this? Another- what is this about? Uh, it is a really uh, bizarre piece of theatre, and, uh, and and you know, like it, it couldn't be. I'm presuming I, I am going to presume that they have added something closer to a traditional narrative to it because there, there just isn't one really in the uh, in the play. Um, but uh, watching the trailer, like one, I kind of liked my reaction to it. I posted the gif of Homer Simpson slowly smiling when he sees the the dud which is genuinely like I just had this like grin on my face that just kind of like slowly widened because I was just kind of like I can't believe it, I can't believe they've done this <laughs> I, I cannot believe that this is what they did uh, which is essentially take the leotards that they wear in the stage show and make them skin mm. uh, and it looks bad <laughs> like it looks worse than if they've just created like full body fur suits for them to wear. Uh, It it just looks really kind of creepy and unnerving. But at the same time, like my reaction to it was I was just watching it thinking I'm kind of heartened that something that has so many baffling creative decisions made it through the studio system. (laughs) Like if in a time when Disney, as we've said, Disney controls like 40 percent of the movies being made and everyone else is trying to do what Disney is doing because it works and everything is kind of becoming more homogenous. I also kind of feel the same way about yesterday, which by all accounts or by a lot of accounts it's not a very good movie, but is wild and weird that it's a movie that's been made. The fact that it it happened kind of makes me feel like Hollywood, there's a there's hope for Hollywood yeah. That someone somewhere will be like, Hey, why don't we just take this completely batty stage show that has no reason to exist and just film it and do it with cgi cat bodies and faces that don't quite fit on their heads like like you say have a certain like island of dr moreau feeling to it or uh like the annoying orange (laughs) like that kind of quality of like someone badly green screening most of a human face onto an inanimate object (laughs) and release it at christmas in 3000 theaters let's just go for it let's let's be fucking legends yeah i just i i it's 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 just so so strange to me, and I really do love the cat's trailer as a cultural object and what it inspi- inspired. Like so quickly, you had it set to the version of "I've Got Five on It" from the Us trailer and recut as a horror movie, mm-hmm. and it works perfectly. Someone recut it to the theme, the the score to Annihilation, and it works perfectly. Like people have just been going fucking wild with that stuff, and I i genuinely do love that and uh i I probably i'm gonna say i'm probably not gonna see the movie (laughs) although i have been trying to convince my mum and dad to go watch it so they can walk out halfway through as they did with the stage show in 1981 uh i feel like that would bring a nice that would close the circle nicely on their uh, relationship with the movie cats with sorry with the multimedia property cats but they've they've uh for some reason they are not uh, keen on the idea of being having of having to sit through half of a musical they already know they hate. <laughs> mm. Well, maybe they should just go watch the second half of the movie,
1: mm. and then they'll have the complete experience. Yes, um, so they'll
0: finally get to hear Memory in its uh, original context.
1: Um, yeah,
0: it, there there was the cast. I kind
1: of knew a couple of people in the cast, but leading with James Corden when you're <laughs> running down who's in it is. I mean, if, if you thought people were on the fence, <laughs> Jesus
0: Christ, lead with Jason Derulo, not James Corden. Yeah, it, it definitely feels like they're going like, it can only get better. And it, ki- it kind of does, I guess. Jason, Cor- J- uh, Jason Derulo is a mild step up from James Corden and Taylor Swift, I guess, is a step up from there. But yeah, it, it definitely does make you think, oh no. Especially because he just doesn't seem to fit in any context. You put James Corden in anything and you're just kind of like, why is he here? How mm. did this happen? Who let him pass security? And th- this feels more so than than ever. He sounds, to me, he sounds like in the uh, Judd Apatow TV series Undeclared, Charlie Hunnam plays like a uh, an English student in it, like a student who is, and he is obviously English, but he is putting on the most horribly fake posh English accent that for years I assumed he must have been an American playing it and that's the same feel the same feel of the eerie and unreal that I get whenever I see James Corden in any context
1: Mm, even on his
0: own show yeah exactly I'm just kind of like who are you sitting in for who have you killed in order to occupy this space Mm.
1: what competition did you win (laughs) other than the lottery of life because this (laughs) is not fair Uh, I kind of like Ian McKellen fair enough you know I mean whatever um Judy Dench I know that she's coming to the end of her career her eyesight's failing maybe she she couldn't read the script or like you know <laughs> won't she at least she won't have to see it but yeah there's there's like a newcomer in the lead but they've kind of made a, a cat or sexy and giving it tits it's, mm. uh, uh, it's just it's so wrong-headed right from start to finish
0: yeah, yeah, there's a lot of kind of things in that trailer that are very weird. That's just just one of them.
1: Yeah, and it's probably the, the thing that you, the more you, like in wallpaper, well, the more you tug at that one little bit, the the mm. whole thing's just going to get worse and worse and worse. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm, you know, I'm not going to say I'm not going to see it. Um, I don't want to see it, but it's the kind of thing that, when I don't have to pay for it, I'll probably, I'll probably watch it when it mm. appears on, you know, on streaming and stuff, just out of morbid curiosity. Sometimes um, you
0: have to stare at the car crash; you just have to.
1: Yeah, when you gaze at Jason Derulo, Jason Derulo <laughs> gazes also. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> and that's our show. We we'd had a whole other topic that we we're going to talk about in this episode, but there was a lot of news. So <laughs> it was um, an hour's
1: worth of news.
0: So, uh, yeah, I hope everyone enjoys this just full-on news-slash-cats episode. Mm -hmm. And we end this episode, as we end all our episodes, with Shot Reverse Shot Recommends, which we talk about a piece of culture that we've enjoyed and we think you, the listeners, will enjoy as well. Matt, what have you got to recommend for the listeners this week?
1: Well, seeing as it's uh, the anniversary of a certain entirely faked historical event when they Mm -hmm. pretended to land on the moon and Stanley Kubrick shot the footage, Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to recommend something space-related. I'm going to recommend the book of The Right Stuff, um, a, a a very famous film was made of that is it Thomas Wolfe who
0: wrote it Thomas Wolfe wrote it yep and yep. the film is by uh, Philip Kaufman
1: a very yep. good movie yeah um, and the book's like fantastic I kind of mm. um, found a copy whilst I was in a, a hostel in Ecuador to be that boring arsehole who has to preface a story with that to make himself sound more interesting <laughs> um, and didn't really know much about it other than space and yeah it's a great um, kind of non-fiction novel I guess yeah um, mm. Uh, about the the guys from the air force because you know nasa was started with you know pilots not scientists who like flying spaceships they were all kind of ace fighter pilots and kind of talks about the kind of pressures that has on the family and the pressures it has on the men doing this extraordinarily dangerous job Um, and also kind of details the the flights and the, the amount of times they stay in orbit and how many um, orbits of the earth they can do and in what time and how it really captures the tension of how hard it is to do something that is so incredibly dangerous and uh, highly skilled. Um, and very much at the vanguard of human understanding of, of like endurance and and science. Um, and it's an incredibly fascinating book. Uh, and even though you know how it ends, there's a man on the moon. Um, it doesn't kind of end at that point but you know that they got there so they had to have done it successfully somehow it's a you know it's a thrilling read um, and uh, exceptionally written with you know kind of these little characters pop up in the background and um, people like Neil Armstrong kind of just in there and you're like hey that guy will become something I'm sure and yeah just a great book uh, it's out of print actually I, I tried to kind of buy my own copy um, um, but yeah it's kind of uh, harder to get hold of so if you can find one in a hostel in Ecuador, <laughs> keep hold of it because I didn't. So yeah, uh, that's my recommendation this week. I'm sure you have something space related
0: too, Ed. I do. Speaking of Neil Armstrong, I am going to recommend the movie First Man, which came out last year, and I uh, didn't see because uh, I like the initial response to it. I think out of Toronto seemed kind of mixed to cold. Everyone said it was kind of a very uh, well made and kind of like technically impressive, but you know, kind of cold and distant movie. And uh, I can see why people said that. Um, Neil Armstrong, by most accounts, was kind of a very quiet, unassuming person, didn't really talk about himself very much, very internal person, very humble, um, particularly when it came to, you know, like later in life and people wanting him to talk about the moon landing and him kind of being very reticent about it all and not wanting to be made to seem a hero. And uh, that's a, a hard thing to make compelling in a in a movie, But uh, I I personally found the movie to be really thrilling and and deeply moving. Uh, Ryan Gosling plays Neil Armstrong, and the movie is kind of of a piece with Damien Chazelle's previous work. It's very much about obsession and uh, pursuit of a goal. But in this movie, the kind of driving force of it in some ways is uh, obsession as a coping mechanism, because early on in the movie... Uh, his young uh, Neil armstrong's young daughter passes away dies of, of cancer and he kind of you know he, he, he there's only really one scene in which he uh, acknowledges that the, the profound weight and the crushing grief of it all and then the, the rest of the movie is him trying to fight through that by you know pursuing the the space race and trying to land a man on the moon and the movie is very good at the technical details it's kind of like this scrupulous attention to detail and accuracy and verisimilitude and the whole thing, the all of the, the actual, like, launches and tests are really, really thrilling and, and wonderfully well uh, implemented. But, but what kind of really took it over the, the top for me was that focus on him as someone kind of really trying to work through things through his work, through his obsessions, and I think it delivers, for me, one of the most moving uh, emotional payoffs of a movie that i've seen in a long time and while i can i understand people who said that they were kind of left cold by it for me the kind of subdued and controlled part of it makes the the, the, the end result uh really really powerful and uh, I, I really really responded to it i wish i'd seen it in the cinema i think had i done so i probably it probably would have been in my top 10 for last year uh, and i think people uh, should give it a chance um separate from you know the 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 discussion at the time about whether or not it was going to be an Oscar a serious contender at the Oscars and all this sort of stuff. I think take taken out of the awards season context, it's a a really wonderful film and probably my favourite thing Damien Chazelle has made so far.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I I too slept on that movie last year. Didn't see it. Kind of just just I kind of un, unfairly bracketed in with the uh, the Oscar biopic wank. Um, I didn't think it would be that, but I kind of just wasn't particularly thrilled about going to see it. I kind of thought I knew the story and how wrong I was. It turns out that, well, you said it's good, so it must be. Mm. Yeah. You've and never I'm, been wrong. Yeah.
0: Never. No, no. People certainly can't find that if they go for the archives. Mm.
1: Yeah. <coughs> Jurassic part two. <coughs> <laughs>
0: If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, then please subscribe to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Player FM, all the usual places. Leave us a review, uh, rate us and re- recommend us to your friends. It's the best way to help us grow our audience. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter, where we are at SRS underscore podcast. We'll be back next week with something entirely different and maybe, you know, maybe the thing we actually meant to discuss. <laughs> but until then, uh, I'll the from me. Uh, and uh, au revoir from me. And goodbye from me.